William Patterson is joining us. He's the number one wealth coach, according to Google.com and AOL.com. The House rejected the $700 billion last Monday. Then Friday they passed it with a little bit of pork on top. It's a very difficult situation. Do you do something and potentially make the situation worse, or do you do nothing and be absolutely sure that the situation is going to get worse? When you're looking at these rising unemployment numbers at or near a five-year high, particularly mm -hmm. for African Americans, unemployment is now at 11.4%. Goldman Sachs is predicting that unemployment is going to hit 8% for the general market, so you know this is obviously going to get a lot worse for the African American market. When you start to see just how painful this is getting, and if you don't take these types of measures, it's going to get much worse. Uh, one economist, a professor at Stern School of Business, Nouriel Rabini, said the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train. So William R. Patterson joins us on The Drive Home. It's your trusted source for wealth and business education. Our guest this week, William R. Patterson, award-winning lecturer and national best-selling author. He is a business and finance guru. William Patterson, Chicagoan extraordinaire. We're going to go to William Patterson, and we couldn't have you on on a better day. Losing a home to foreclosure is now almost as common for families as buying a home. But you say this is the best time in 50 years to buy a home or an apartment or an office building. One of the things that I really appreciate that you're doing is you go out into the community and undress the predatory lending industry. Talking about money. Economics, finances, but with one of the best minds in the business, William Patterson. He is a renowned wealth coach and national best-selling co-author of The Baron's Son. Breakthrough book has been featured in the Forbes Book Club and Black Enterprise Magazine. His website, baronseries.com, is winner of the 2008 Web Awards for Best Speaker, Best Male Author, and Best Wealth Building Site. He is ranked as the number one business motivational speaker. Good morning to you, William. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing terrific, Todd. Good to have you on today, and thank you very much for, again, making yourself available to us. We always appreciate it. My pleasure, Todd, always. All right, so uh, finally got it, finally went through. Uh, the House rejected the $700 billion last Monday, a week ago today, and then Friday they passed it with a little bit of pork on top. Um, <laughs> so so uh, what, what, is, what is your take on the situation? As I mentioned the last time, Todd, if you can play the downside of a market, you'll never go broke underestimating the inefficiencies, incompetence, and partisan politics of our government. You're right. They snuck in a lot of pork on top of it, everything from some tax benefits for the, the bicycling community, things that had nothing to do with this, quote, bailout of rescue plan. So, 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 so why is this stuff done, this pork, this, these, this earmark, these earmarks? Why, can you just explain that for us for, real quick? As you know, the old saying, get in where you fit in, Todd. Mm -hmm. This is an opportunity for people to leverage their political clout here in order to get things that they've always wanted or that their constituents have wanted passed. Mm -hmm. As you saw, over $1.2 trillion flow out of the stock market. Many of these members of the House knew that inaction was not an option. So they were certainly going to have to pass something, and they needed those votes. Barack Obama was certainly a big advocate of getting a number of Democrats to switch their votes. There were about 33 that switched their votes to support the bill, and a lot of that was due to Barack Obama making personal phone calls to get this bill through because, again, they knew that parts of this bill were certainly core to beginning a financial turnaround. Of course, the mortgage crisis and the credit crisis. I was just playing this piece from 60 Minutes yesterday, and I wasn't able to get through it. Basically, they were talking about the shadow market. 
Can you talk about that a little bit? People was, you know, selling the bad in investments with insurance, using all these formulas and algorithms and so forth. But uh, what do you know about the shadow market uh, on Wall Street? A lot of that has to do with what are known as credit default swaps, mm -hmm. where you may have a person that's insuring this particular debt, so that if a homeowner or a person who took out a, a particular loan did not pay, then it would be insured by this third-party entity. A lot of this has to do with this unregulated market around credit default swaps. And if this market is not regulated, obviously the entities that are insuring these face a great deal of risk. There was no real sense of the, the vulnerability and the risk that a lot of these major banks had. So when you start to see more and more of these loans defaulting, it created this cascading failure. And, uh, of course, the number to call in is 1-888-432-1580, 1-888-432-1580 the number to call in. We're talking to William Patterson. He is with the Warcoffer uh, Capital Group and is a frequent and regular contributor here to the show, and we appreciate him for being with us today. You know, some are saying if the taxpayer is going to pay, why not just nationalize the banking industry. I know that's that may be just sacrilegious to some people in the economic community, but if, but if we're going to do it anyway, why not just nationalize the whole deal? Well, I certainly think we're heading that way in certain respect. More and more of these financial institutions, they call it the moral hazard, the economy can no longer afford to let them fail. Then these particular banks and so forth come to the Federal Reserve, starting to see more and more integration, oversight, and regulation with the government. And of course, Republicans who claim to want smaller government are always against Treasury and, and Fed getting a piece of Wall Street. Mm -hmm. uh, talking this morning with William Patterson. We do have a phone call that's come through. Good morning. Call your name. Where are you calling from today? This is Avery calling from D.C. William Patterson, could you please explain why all these banks happen to be failing all at the same time and right before the election? The election is kind of convenient. Many of them would have failed anyway. It's a situation where they're cascading failures because so many of these banks borrow from each other. And a lot of these loans are being bundled up. As you're starting to see rising unemployment, employment near a five-year high. Obviously, if people don't have jobs, they can't pay their bills, they can't pay for their homes. You're also seeing a situation where many of them cannot refinance a lot of the arms these adjustable rate mortgages, which were taken out in the early 2000s, are now coming due. So you're seeing this massive wave of foreclosure that's starting to hit now. So I think the election just happened to come along at the same time, although I think many of them tried to deny the problem too long, and it just happened to happen right before the election. I, was, I think many of them were hoping it would last through the election, but at this point, it's just it's just too great an issue. Okay, because it, it, it really does, through my eyes, seem like a like a musical or a dance sequence when everybody's doing the same thing at the same time. I also find it hard to believe that CEO or financial experts or a roundtable all woke up one weekend and said, "Hey, we made bad decisions. Oh wait, we're going under." I would imagine. Look, what you just said about denying the problem, I would imagine that there were plans about how best to, you know, pack it up and run for years. 
again, a lot of people were in denial for a great deal of time. And as one bank fails, you're forced to look at your transactions. You're forced to look at your portfolio and say, right. you know, what dealings do we have with this other bank? And as you're starting to see the largest bank failures in history, obviously a lot of those other banks do have dealings with each other. So as you start to see more and more banks fail and more and more pieces of the portfolios that they have begin to fail, it just, again, creates this cascading failure where a lot of things are falling apart all around you. Okay, I, I have one more question. Uh, and I, I could take the answer off the air. William, could you uh plus interest and how interest eats into the general economy? Yes. And I, I did just want to touch on one of Avery's other points when he was asking. It seemed as though there were a lot of bank failures happening all at one time. Mm -hmm. Well, I do want to point out that there have been over a 100 bank failures in the last year. Although a lot of them are starting to make headlines because they're so big, this has been happening for several years. Yeah. And a problem has been mounting. But to answer his question about principal and interest, or at least to address his, his point about principal and interest, I do believe that credit is a vital part of the economy because it goes to so many different aspects of the economy, everything from small business to being able to pay for school to being able to purchase a house, car, everything that we do. At some point, credit is a part of that process. Mm -hmm. Now, to address this question, obviously you have a certain amount that you borrow, which is the principal, and you're going to pay back a certain amount of interest based on your credit rating. And if you are a credit-worthy borrower, you're going to get lower interest rates than if you've had some blemishes on your credit report, things such as missed payments, foreclosures, bankruptcies, etc. Obviously, the worse your credit is, the higher the interest rates you're going to have to pay because you're viewed as a higher risk. Unfortunately, if lenders have poor or exercise poor lending practices, then you end up with a portfolio of bad loans. One of the ways in which banks are supposed to prevent themselves from getting into a situation with a bunch of bad loans is diversifying their risk across a number of borrowers. Now, when you have the interest, what it begins to do is over time, you end up in a situation where you're highly leveraged. So you look at an individual who may be living off of their credit cards, and you look at every dollar that you have is going towards some type of interest payment. So you end up in a situation where you're a slave to debt. This happens with institutions the same way it happens with individuals. So to speak to Avery's point about how interest can eat away at the economy, if you do not borrow responsibly, then you end up in a situation where all of your money is going toward interest payments. Same thing with the federal government now paying over, I believe it's $500 billion a year in interest charges. Mm. So these are things that people have to watch out for and make sure that they are borrowing responsibly because just as you will get into trouble if you overextend yourself, so do businesses and so does the federal government. And what about the, the, the city bank, Wells Fargo, Wachovia situation? Of course, city was supposed to get it, then Wells came in with a bigger offer, and now, you know, they're fighting over it. Well, you know, I, I say good luck to city. Obviously, they're going to have to do what's in the best interest of shareholders, which is going to be to go after the bigger deal. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, now we look overseas. Over the weekend, we had uh, the four, you know, four of the, the big, big boys over there in, in Europe come together uh, at the... Uh, behest of uh, French President Sarkozy. What's your take there? Because the European markets as well as the Asian markets taking a hammering. 
Absolutely. This is a, a really a worldwide crisis. This is not just a U.S. crisis. And as I mentioned, all of these banks are interlinked, including the central banks that regulate all of the other banks throughout the system and throughout the world. So as you start to see this series... Can you, can you, can you, can you talk about that just a little more? I know we've done it before, but, you know, it's never... Never, never a bad thing to kind of re revisit that to some degree. How, how does the, the U.S. market uh, basically set the standard or set the pace for the rest of the markets across the world? I wouldn't just say that it necessarily sets the pace, but they're such an integral part because all of these other banks do have investments in the U.S. Obviously, the U.S. has, at least in the past, has had one of the strongest stock markets in the world and many of the strongest companies in the world. And you have a lot of outside investors who will come invest in these great businesses. They will buy parts of the mortgage market as well. We mentioned many Asian investors own over a trillion dollars of the mortgage market. So you're going to start to see a lot of these other large institutional investors buying up parts of the U.S. equity market and the debt market. Now, when it comes to the central banks, the central banks regulate and they also set interest rates for the banks that you would go get your mortgage from, you would go get your car loan from, as well as some of the other major Wall Street institutions who buy these bundled mortgages. So... They set that those overnight lending rates for these banks. Now, if you have situations where these banks begin to fail, they're going to come to the central banks and say, hey, we need to borrow some additional funds or we need help in order to stay solvent. And that's what the central banks have to decide to do. Are we going to break our normal policy and begin to uh, give you some extra funds so that you can continue to survive and shareholders and interest holders and depositors don't lose their money? These are the tough decisions that the central banks are around the world are having to make right now. Now, that some of those folks in Europe are not as lenient as some of the politicians here. They're saying, hey, look, the people should not be able to bail folks out. The German chancellor, she said the same thing. And this is part of the problem, okay? I know Paulson and I know Bernanke, they both came from the private sector, and I understand that they have the knowledge and so forth. But, you know, they were in that sector. They fought for no oversight. Then all of a sudden they become the head of some of the big boys with the money. Now we see Paulson, he's expected to name Neil Kashkari to oversee the $700 billion program. The only thing is Kashkari came from Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you, you see what I'm saying? I mean, people are going to look at that and be like, how, how are we going to do this? This, this, this guy is going to oversee, and yet he was a part of the problem in a sense. I'll tell you, Todd, you do want people that have some experience in this because obviously just looking at Congress, when you have people who have no insight and experience trying to regulate set rules and standards, you end up in a situation where you're going to bankrupt the system. I mean, you have people that have no clue about the financial industry. Now, of course, you can point to Wall Street and say the same thing. I was about because he was a part of the problem. Why not get somebody maybe from academia who may have some experience there in economics? I mean, we have plenty of economists who advise folks all the time from academia. It's a difficult situation. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's a very difficult situation because do you do something and potentially 
make the situation worse or do you do nothing and be absolutely sure that the situation is going to get worse? When you're looking at the types of people that are involved in this, I would certainly want someone who does have more experience. I just think you need more regulation and oversight to prevent these abuses of the system. But when you're looking at these rising unemployment numbers at a near five-year high, particularly for African Americans, unemployment is now at 11.4%. Goldman Sachs is predicting that unemployment is going to hit 8% for the general market, so you know this is obviously going to get a lot worse for the African-American market. When you start to see just how painful this is getting, and if you don't take these types of measures, it's going to get much worse. Uh, one economist, a professor at Stern School of Business, Nouriel Rabini, said the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train. The situations that these people are dealing with is, do we want to make this very painful? And when I say make this very painful, I'm saying pushing toward 20% unemployment in order to correct this problem. Either that or you're going to have to throw money at it. If you throw money at it, yes, you can potentially make the bubble grow, but the question is, how painful do you want to make this in an election year? All right, man. Now we're talking to William Patterson here on Talk 1580. Uh, how can people get in contact with you, William? Sure, they can call toll-free 888-90-BARON. That's 888-90-BARON. R-O-N. They can also visit us online at BarronSeries.com. This is William R. Patterson, wealth coach and national best-selling co-author of The Barron Sun. I hope you found the lessons and insights from this interview enlightening and profitable. I now invite you to complete the information request form in the workshops and coaching section of BarronSeries.com to learn how you can use Barron Wealth Coaching to rapidly achieve your business and financial goals. At BarronSeries.com, we've developed one of the most effective, integrated approaches to building wealth in the world. With expert guidance and over 200 accelerators, Barron Wealth Coaching can help you quadruple the speed at which you reach your business and financial goals over planning yourself and other methods and programs. For more information on Barron Wealth Coaching, visit BarronSeries.com forward slash coaching.htm or call 888-90-BARON. That's toll-free, 888-90-B-A-R-O-N.